Hey friend, I'm Karna Atkinson and this is the Hidden Jewels podcast. Roxanne Parks and I are so honored today to welcome my dear friend, Wendy Douglas. I still remember the moment when I was standing in her kitchen and she said, you know, really, we all need to learn to grieve a little each day. I guarantee you, Wendy's story is going to change the way you look at grief. Let's get to it. Well, I'm so excited today. We are joined with my dear, dear friend, Wendy Douglas, and um, I'm just thrilled. Wendy has been a gift to me. Uh, We met in, while I was in college, she's uh, older than I am, and she actually ministered to my college group at our church, and then I ended up getting married, and uh, we continue to attend that same church. And she just was that gift to me one step ahead that um, just ministered to me as a young mom, young wife. And, um, and so we've been friends for a really long time, right, Wendy? Long time. We have. Yeah. Like 27 years. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's crazy. So it is. So yeah. Decades. And we're not that old. We are not. I mean, we're barely decades old ourselves. Exactly. It's really weird. Our (laughs) kids are already grown. So I know. (laughs) uh, So, um, so Wendy, why don't we just get started? I'm so excited for everybody to hear your story. It's so powerful. And, um, so why don't you just start, just start with how you grew up? Absolutely. Well, Karna, thank you so much, you and Roxanne both, just for having me, because it is truly, truly an honor um, to be here because I'm actually a podcast listener and I love it. And I I tell so many people about it. I have so enjoyed it. So I'm so glad that you started this. Um, You know, I grew up in the deep South. I'm Georgia girl, girl born and bred. Um, You can probably tell that by the way I talk, because I don't think that I have more than about three words that I speak that um, have more than one syllable. I mean, yeah. I barely have words that have one syllable. So, uh, just bear with me if you're not from the South. So I actually was born into a home of domestic violence. Uh, my parents divorced when I was two and I grew up in a single parent home with my mom who really, and truly, I know we speak a lot about narcissism today, but she truly, um, I believe has, narcissistic personality disorder. She meets eight of those nine characteristics when you look at that from a diagnostic um, standpoint. But she remarried when I was 13, um, and that helped to improve some things. But I still always kind of grew up in a dysfunctional home until I left for college. And I grew up in a way that you know, I just knew that it wasn't safe to express my emotions because I had a lot of experience doing that and it didn't, didn't go so well for me. So I learned how to stuff my emotions. Um, and I, I became compliant and I was at least compliant on the outside, on the inside, I really was a hot mess. Um, on the inside, I was mad, you know, and I was, you know, you tell me to sit down on the outside. I was sitting down there, but I was standing up on the inside, definitely mm-hmm. standing up. But, mm-hmm. um, I actually became a believer in Christ at the age of 10. And I'm telling you, it is such a miracle that God would choose me. And it is truly God chose me because I, there was nothing going on in my life that I would choose him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he chose me and I, 
I have never doubted God's love for me. I don't know how that's even possible other than it is faith that God Mm -hmm. has given me. Um, But I became a believer at 10. And then at age 12, I got discipled um, by my Sunday school teacher. And just, I still have a wonderful relationship with her to this day, but I just began to develop my own relationship with God. And that's when I began at 12 years old, learning how to have a quiet time and read God's word and, and to pray and to write down things that I felt that God was speaking to me. And, you know, another part of that though, was after my relationship with God began, I was also determined to earn God's approval, right? I was going to keep the rules by being good, mm. but that, that's not the Christian life, right. <laughs> but I didn't know that at the time. I thought that that was a big part of it, but I was also very close to my grandparents and God was so good. And I know everybody doesn't get this as a part of their story, but he did give me some family that I could have a healthy attachment with and show me what bonding was and show me what love and care um, and concern for other other people, what that looked like. And so, you know, I experienced a lot of love and care from them. They taught me so many things. Um, I actually grew up spending every weekend with them from the time I was two years old until um, I was a teenager. You know, I'd go on Friday nights, I would get picked up for church on Sundays and you know, I just had a great time. They would cook my special meal every weekend. I got steak and potatoes and lima beans. I mean, that is my most favorite meal in the world because, you know, like I was their treasure. They treated me as if I was just the princess, you know, that I always uh, believed I was anyway, you know, but right. my mother did not think so, but, but my grandparents definitely did. And so I really leaned into my relationship with them. But when I was 15, suddenly my grandmother died. And then 10 months later, my grandfather died and my whole world, it just changed. It shattered into a million bazillion pieces, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, because now I didn't have those protectors between me and my parents, between me and my mom, because, you know, nobody really can talk to you the way that your parents can, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. your friends are going to say, Karna, you should not do that. Or why are you doing that? You know, mm-hmm. but you know, they might say, Oh, that's in-. your friends will say, Oh, that's interesting. You know, even if they might think the same thing, but only your parents can talk to you in you know, the way that they can just because of the relationship. Yeah. Um, but you know, and my life changed in the sense that I didn't have those weekends anymore. You know, my safe haven, it truly was gone in the midst of, you know, raging hormones and trying right. to understand life and middle school and high school. And, you know, my mom getting remarried, we had lived, you know, never lived with a man before, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. from what I remember, you know, and so being so many new things are going on and then this was happening. So I had a lot of losses and a lot of change all during my teenage years. Mm. But for the rest of my time, you know, that I spent living at home, truly, I felt like Cinderella without a fairy godmother, Mm. Um, you know, and after my grandparents died, this is so hard to believe, but I never said the words, I love you for seven years until I met my husband, Mm. not one time, you know, and that might be hard for some people to understand. And it might be the reality um, for other people that are listening, Mm. but I just, I didn't feel like I had anyone to talk to about what was going on in my home because I wasn't going to talk to my friends about that because, you know, I was around church friends and, you know, we were hanging out with these, you know, 
I was hanging out with godly families all the time. You know, that was just where I was at. And so I already felt kind of different. And so I didn't want to talk to them because I didn't want to be seen as different, right? Teenagers, we want to be, you know, they want to be the same. They want to have that group experience. And and that's just a part of developing, right? Um, Right. But it just helped me to begin telling myself, I need to keep these unpleasant things within me. I don't Mm -hmm. need to share them. And so again, I'm learning how to stuff my emotions. I'm learning how to not talk about the hard things, but there were actually times in my life that I would just pray and I would just say, God, please just let me go to sleep and wake up in heaven Mm -hmm. with you. Please, please just let me go to sleep and be with you. You know, and, and it's just more that I wanted to be free from the pain that I was experiencing. It wasn't that I wanted to die. It, it wasn't that I wanted to harm myself in any way because, you know, there may be people that are listening and they are thinking about, you know, how can they truly end their pain? They may be coming up with a plan. And, and if someone is listening, I just want to encourage you text the suicide crisis hotline at seven, four, one, seven, four, one. That is such an easy number to remember. Or if you want to call and talk to someone, you can do that at the suicide crisis hotline at one 800 273 T-A-L-K, it spells talk because talking about what's happening helps. Mm -hmm. Because what I know from my own life is that circumstances and emotions do change. It doesn't feel like they're going to, but they do change. Yeah. And so, you know, thankfully I did have a pretty um, close-knit social group throughout high school, even though I wasn't sharing some of these um, inner struggles that I was having. We had a great time um, together. I went to school at my church. So I was literally at church six or seven days a week, all day long. Um, and most of us worked together at Chick-fil-A. Um, and that was at a time when Chick-fil-A was only available at the mall. I mean, our kids <laughs> cannot even imagine that. Like what? I remember when the first drive-through um, Chick-fil-A was built. I remember when there was the first freestanding unit, you know, in Atlanta. I mean, it was just like, what? You know, and so it was such a, it was such a fun time, but we had a great time um, together. I actually even met my husband um, in high school. We double dated. We didn't date each other though. We dated. <laughs> oh, he actually dated one of my good friends and I dated someone else. But then we all went away to college, you know, different places. But as God would have it, he and I went to colleges that were about five miles apart. And so we began dating. And then today we're married with three grown children. Um, We are still best friends. And marrying him was truly a part of God's redemption story in my life because um, I truly did marry into the Cleaver family for those who are old enough to remember Ward and June. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it has been such a blessing and my in-laws are a blessing. Um, I never have um, in-law jokes to tell um, because they truly are wonderful people um, for me and have blessed me in so, so many ways. So I know that's not everyone's story, but that was just a part of God's redemption um, in my life. Um, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I talked about the relationship with my mom, you know, that was one of those things that just never changed. And in 2008, she actually chose to walk away and I'm her only child. My children are her only grandchildren. And so that just kind of has always left mother's day and father's day a little bit awkward for me. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Is your mom still alive? She is. She is. As far as I know, as far as I know, she is. Mm -hmm. So Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't had contact since 2008. So, and we reached out several times and then, you know, after no response, we just, um, we just stopped reaching out. So, 
but yeah, we did, we did try, um, for several years, actually, not just one or two times, but for years we tried and we just got no response. So we just had to let that go and accept, um, them for who they are, you know, and for let them have their choices, um, to choose what they would like to do and not hold resentment, you know, or anger or bitterness, but just knowing that, you know, that that's just their choice and that I can't make choices for them. I can only choose for me. Yeah. But getting to that part has been a process, right? It has been a process. Yes. You know, in the beginning, because, you know, I told you I wanted to keep the rules, right. And I wanted to earn Mm -hmm. God's approval. And so I felt horrible when she, you know, walked away. I just, I just thought I'm a bad Christian and like, this just people that are really, truly actively seeking God, this doesn't happen. What am I doing wrong? Because that's what she trained me. Anything that went wrong was my fault. Mm -hmm. And so I totally did that, you know, my relationship with God as well. It's like, Oh my God, what am I doing wrong that she would walk away? I've tried to be so kind and you know, all these things. Um, and so, yes, it was definitely, um, a process to get to. And I had to realize there is not a thing as there's no such thing as good Christian or bad Christian. It is you are Christian or you're not, you are obedient or you are not, mm-hmm. you are actively following God or you're not, but you're, you're a Christian or you aren't. And I knew that I had believed right in that. That's the prerequisite, um, right. Yeah. Is belief in the faith that God gives to you. And so I knew that I had those things and yeah, just learning to accept that was a big part of um, counseling, lots and lots of counseling and learning how to let go and learning how to accept some things, you know, in life kind of as they came and giving people, you know, freedom, mm. um, even Wendy, though it wasn't. Wendy, how old were you when your mom, you said she walked away. I, I... Right. Yeah. And I was um, almost 40, not quite 40. So my late thirties. So you were married with children. I was married with children. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And my kids had been spending, you know, we had let them a few times go and spend, you know, time with them alone. Um, you so know, walk, weekend, walk long away, weekends walk away wasn't really walking away. I mean, it wasn't walk. It was That's like, a right. move. it was a move. It was a leave the house. It was a, it was, um, one of those things where they wanted to come at a certain time. And we said, that's not going to work. Could we work on another time? And they said, no, it's that time or nothing. And we said, it's just not going to work. And that's when they said, yeah, they, they just didn't answer our phone calls after that. Oh, so it wasn't a leaving their house or leaving the state. No, no, it was a, it was a, it was just a break in contact. Okay. Okay. Cause yeah. It walked away. I thought, did she go to Wyoming? Uh, yeah, no, yeah. it was a break in contact. Okay. It was a break in contact. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And so that was really, really a struggle for me um, for a long time. Yeah. yeah. But again, I just kind of pushed it in and tried to just keep going with life as so many of us do. We just think I don't have time for that. And we just try to keep going until eventually we can't. Yeah. Well, especially uh, when you have young children, uh, you're just busy, right? That's right. That's We're what keeps us totally busy. That that keeps us going for good or bad. It kept you going. It did. It did. I had responsibilities that I had to do regardless of right. how I was and feeling. That's why, that's why all of us can brush some things under the carpet for a while. We're just busy. Mm-hmm. We are. We okay. are. So, um, so tell us about when you turned 40. 
Well, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) when I was almost 40, I experienced some friendship drama and I don't know if anyone else has ever gone through that, but it feels like middle school all over again. And it actually started out with someone who was really more of an acquaintance for me. We were both stay at home moms. We went to the same church. Our kids were close in age. Um, and we basically just kind of helped one another out with our kids because we knew that, you know, we were stay at home moms that kind of live close to each other, um, in our city. And so I wouldn't have considered us close friends at that time, but you know, we enjoyed like meeting up at Chick-fil-A, letting the kids play, you know, different things like that. Um, but, but that's about all there was to it, mm-hmm. but I'll never forget it. One day out of the blue, I got a phone call from her about a tragedy that she had experienced in her family and she needed some help with the kids. And so I'm an empath. And so that's one of those things I've had to learn about myself as well. And so of course I couldn't just say, okay, and then wait till she called the next time. So I began actually developing um, a relationship with her. I've tried to develop a closer relationship. And I really kind of thought things were going well. Now, there were some things along the way, you know, as I look back um, that I think, oh, I didn't like that. But I really pushed it aside because the good parts were so good. I mean, I truly enjoyed um, this relationship. It it was um, fun on a lot of levels. It was deep. It was, um, I'm not very good at surface conversations. <laughs> and so, um, so this, it was, you know, it was a good fit, um, on a lot of levels, but you know, the, as time went on, the bad parts just got really bad. And that's really what happens when you have two people who come together that don't have good boundaries. I mean, there should be like, you know, a blinking light that says, warning, warning, disaster ahead, you know, stop that, stop now, slow down, you know, but we just kept forging ahead. Um, And, you know, I mentioned that my mom walked away, um, you know, broke back contact with our relationship in 2008. And so this happened a year or two later in, I think, unconsciously, I just could not handle anyone else walking out of my life at that time. Um, and I took the responsibility again, like I was trained to do anytime something went wrong in the relationship, I just worked double time trying to make things good, whether that was offering to cook a meal, keep the kids, help clean the house, even cut the grass. Now, let me say cutting the grass is something I enjoy. I've done that for several of my neighbors. And so that that's not really a big stretch for me. But I was doing too much. I was over-functioning and because I was trying to calm what was happening within inside of me, you know, my own internal chaos. And, you know, I didn't do everything right in this relationship. I will never claim that. Um, I definitely could have made some better choices, but I will say that I was never mean or rude or anything like that. But, you know, this this friend and her family really became like family to me. They became my family our family, you know, I believed the things that I was hearing, um, from her about how close we were. And she truly became like a sister to me. Um, and those kids became like my own nieces and nephews and all of our kids called themselves cousins. I think they still do today when they see each other, but even their kids at their school, cause they all went to the same school. They would ask if they were related and we just love them so much and they loved us, you know, and today those kids still love us and we still love them. Um, but, you know, unbeknownst to me, ugh, I hate to say this, but I was totally codependent. I was, you know, and 
what happened was that I was really triggered by the thought of being left, like I said. And I was also triggered by the contempt that I felt from this friend because that's what I felt from my mother. Um, because my mother was very clear with while I was growing up to remind me that if it had been up to her, I would have never been born. Now, got it, mom. I'm not sure what to do with that, but I got it. Um, but thankfully, you know, it wasn't up to my mom. It was up to God and God had a plan and he placed people in my life to support me all along the way. But, you know, in this particular relationship, there were just things that sent me down a dark path. And mm -hmm. to be fair, there was no way that anyone could have known, and, and especially not this friend, um, all the repercussions that would happen of me being treated poorly again, because to be honest, I didn't even know that I could get to such a dark place or be triggered um, by someone else's actions toward me. And I actually experienced what's known as betrayal trauma for the second time I experienced the first time with my mom. And then the second time I'm experiencing this in this friendship, because like I said, she was like a sister to me. And that's kind of how I treated the relationship. Um, and going through this the second time is what, um, caused me to experience some post-traumatic stress symptoms um, from childhood wounds. It, it wasn't even about the relationship. It was from childhood things that I had just stuffed down, right? I, I like to say, you know, I, you can stuff your emotional trash so long, but for me, when I gave it that one final push trying to get more in there, the bag broke and it went everywhere and it was, it was a mess. And I had to clean up that mess, yeah. um, you know, because Honestly, as time went on, I began to become more and more depressed. Uh, I cried all the time, but I didn't do it when people were around. Mm -hmm. I was too embarrassed. I, I, I didn't want anyone to know what was happening. Um, but, and this is not an exaggeration. I literally cried almost every day for four years. But if you added up the days I didn't cry, that probably would have been about four to six weeks out of that, out of those four years. I mean, in true, that is not an exaggeration, but I had what's known as smiling depression. And that's where um, you're functioning. And when you're around people, you can kind of keep the smile on. But when you're alone or even, you know, I can even remember um, my husband and I being at a restaurant and ordering food and he was paying and I walked over to get my drink and I would just start bawling. But, you know, I would see him coming over to get his drink and I would try to, you know, suck it, you know, suck it up. Don't, you know, don't cry, you know. And so it took so much energy for me to be around people during those days. Um, you know, I know that I have storage facilities of tears in heaven. I mean, they, there's, I've taken up a lot of room, taken up a lot of space in heaven, let me just yeah. say. But, you know, I can, even now when I think about the person that I was then, um, it can still cause me to cry thinking about how, um, how much I felt unloved and so alone. I think it was really more about feeling alone um, in what I was going through. You know, I, I just want to, you know, when I think about the person I was, I just want to give her a hug and tell her how much I love her and how I'm, you know, that, that she's not alone um, because it was truly, truly a horrible time for me um, for sure. And you was know, your, as much as was your husband aware of all this, so he did know some things um, that were going on, but you know, he was one that would say, you need to snap out of it, or you need to stop doing this, or, you know, like, don't, don't give, don't personalize this. And, you know, he was, it wasn't because he was trying to be mean, you know, he said, your kids need you, you can't give all your energy to, you know, what's 
going on here? You're giving this person too much power. And, you know, but he didn't understand what all was going on in my heart as far as my childhood wounds and how this was interacting. And because, you know, it was just so big and massive. But I remember him saying to me that how furious he was over how I had been treated by this friend at a certain point. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't want him to start picking up my battle. Like, I don't want him to think poorly of someone else because of what's happening to me. And so it just caused me to go further and further within myself, you know, but he, as a man, he just wanted to know what's the problem. We'll get to the solution. Let's fix it. And I want you to get back to your happy self. Like I want things to be normal again. I want us to enjoy and have you know, conversations like we had and where you're not so sad all the time. And, you know, and, you know, it wasn't, um, it was just really that he just didn't fully understand what was happening and he wanted the best for me. You probably probably didn't even understand at the time, right? That's right. I didn't. All I knew truly was that I felt overwhelmingly sad. That's really the only way that I could describe it at the time. I just was overwhelmingly sad. I mean, truly I had classic depression, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but as much as I don't ever want to repeat what I went through, um, it was actually what God used to draw me closer to him. And, you know, in a strange way, it was actually the best, worst thing that could have happened. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe God wanted to use it to heal both of my friend and I, um, right? Because as I said, neither one of us had boundaries. And so we both had some work to do, but God used that to unravel me, Karna, as you like to say, but he also used it to rebuild me and to cut away those hard parts of my heart. You know, those parts that said, you can't, you know, anger and sadness and guilt, those things you don't talk about. And, you know, there's something inherently bad about those types of emotions. And so you need to avoid those and, you know, put on a happy face and be joyful. And, you know, it just really helped me to become more human going through this experience. Mm -hmm. And it caused me to become more dependent on God, less dependent on people. Um, You know, I wasn't totally self-sufficient, but God helped me to learn who to trust and what to trust them with. Right. Mm -hmm. But God took my pain and that's actually, you know, how he has given me the purpose that I have today. You know, that's what led me to becoming a counselor was going through all the pain um, that I went through and then receiving, you know, the healing um, Mm -hmm. part of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you really, um, you really focus on grief specifically. I do. Yeah. Which I think I is do. so helpful. I know you've helped me think through a lot of things. Um, so, so you say you're a counselor. Um, so I've been a biblical counselor for eight years and then currently I'm in the process of actually becoming a licensed professional counselor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And you're doing some extra work with Dr. Um, I. I am. So I am actually at the Townsend Institute under the direction and leadership of Dr. Don, Dr. John Townsend. Um, you might recognize his name from the Boundaries book. Um, that has been a national bestseller now for goodness many years. I think What's it was the name just of the recent. book again? Boundaries. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, he's written tons and tons of books, but, um, yeah, just learning from him has been, oh my goodness, such, such a blessing because the longer I've done biblical counseling, the more I have realized how much more there is to learn. Um, and I love learning, um, and just learning how to reach people 
um, you know, where they're at, meet them where they're at and how to help people move through, you know, because I've seen a lot of counseling over the last eight years that just, you know, kind of was like my husband, well, what's the problem? Here's the solution. And that just doesn't work. It does not work because people need to be met where they are. If they're sad, we, we need to recognize that sadness and sit there with them in it and let them be sad because mm-hmm. Sadness or anger, it's okay. It's it's our response to that. It's what we do with it, you know, that matters. But just being angry or being sad, it's not bad. It's actually part of our God-given emotions. Yeah. So uh, how did you emerge? How did God uh, really put those pieces of your heart back together? Well, so I'll back up just a little bit because, you know, during this time I was going to bed just like normal, 10 o'clock I'd go to bed, but then I'd wake up around one o'clock and I would ruminate. My mind would just be going and going until about five o'clock in the morning. And then I'd go back to bed and I'd wake up at seven, take the kids to school. And I did that for months and months and months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on the research side of things and in psychology, we know that that uses up so much of our serotonin (laughs) Um, because we just can't make it um, as fast as sometimes we're using it up. And I certainly um, was not, but you know, what I realized is that grief not only crushes us, but it also ushers us into the presence of God, whether we're aware of it or not, because, you know, Psalm 34, 18 tells us that God is close to the brokenhearted. And that's the only prerequisite that God gives us right? That is the only thing that he says. And so I was definitely brokenhearted. And I used to, you know, tell my counselor, I would just repeat over and over how I just felt overwhelmingly sad. And then people would come up to me and say, when do you look so sad? And I would say, you know, I'd think to myself, oh my goodness, I'm not doing a good enough job at hiding this. And I would just say, I would lie. Literally, it's a lie. I would say, I'm just so tired, right? How many times have we done that? But it's a lie. <laughs> and we have to um, confess that before God that we we're lying, you know, I was lying. Um, and so I did honestly, what helped me during that time was a lot of journaling, a lot of praying. Oh my goodness. Lots and lots of counseling in and out of counseling (laughs) over those years. Um, you know, and God just showed me that this relationship had become an idol in my life. And it wasn't because I was just like, Oh, you're so wonderful. Oh, you know, hell, you know, you, it was more of, I didn't want to be left. I couldn't, I just, emotionally was not at a place to have someone else, especially someone that was like family walk out of my life, you know, and to leave and break that contact. And so, you know, I think unconsciously what was happening was that I was trying to work out a different ending to the relationship with my mom. Mm -hmm. And if anybody's ever tried that, uh, it doesn't work. (laughs) It never works. But, you know, anytime you have an idol in your life or you're holding so tightly onto something and God pries it away, it's painful. It is so, so painful, but, you know, I had to learn how to grieve and, you know, that's why I focus so much on grief because that's actually what I was going through at that time. I just didn't know it, um, you know, in the beginning, but I had to learn how to grieve and how to feel my feelings. I didn't like feeling sad. I didn't like feeling angry. I didn't like feeling bitter because I was becoming bitter. Um, and I had to enter that season of loss And the counselor was actually one of those people that helped me to sit in it 
and say, no, stay with it. Because I kept wanting to go, you know, I kept wanting to go from my heart to my head is what he would tell me. Wendy, that's in your head. What are you feeling? You know, I'm like, I don't know. So many times I would say, I don't know. And we'd go through this list of words, you know, and he would say, are you feeling this? And I'll say, no, no. He would say, oh yeah, that's what I'm feeling. You know, and I had to learn names for what I was feeling. I had to learn how to name my emotions because, you know, as I learned how to grieve those losses in life, um, you know, I just couldn't ride the, the happy train anymore. I had ridden yeah. the happy train for far too long and my body just said no more. You know, yeah. my it, it really was a physical um, reaction. But the thing I think that helped me the most, because even though I'm doing all these things, I'm journaling, I'm praying, I'm, I'm going to counseling, I was still in the state of depression. Because like I said, I learned to keep all these unpleasant things inside of me. And, you know, it's, it's what stays inside of us that keeps us sick. It's not the things that come out of us. And so, you know, my friend, she was a ministry leader. And so, you know, we had so many of the same things. And so it was, I just didn't feel like anyone would believe me, even if I did tell them, but you know, I think what happened was I had a, we had a mutual friend and we went to lunch. And when we went to lunch, um, she just kind of casually asked me about this relationship. And that was during my, probably my fourth year of my depression. And she just, you know, was asking about it. And I said, I can't talk about it. But then I immediately burst into tears and she was like, okay, wait a minute. And she's like, well, you might not can talk. I said, I can't talk about it. And she's like, well, you might not can talk about it, but I can. And she proceeded to tell me everything that she had seen. And she was right on the money. Like I couldn't even believe that someone could see so clearly what was going on because I just thought I was all alone in it. Um, mm -hmm. And she was actually the fourth or fifth or so person to actually come to me about this relationship and ask me um, about it because it wasn't based on what they saw in me. It was based on what they saw in this friend, um, how she would respond to me or how she would um, react in conversations with others um, when my name got brought up and that they just thought was a little bit odd. Um, but, you know, I just always say, oh, I don't know. I'd brush it off. Oh, you know, I don't know. You know, I would, a lot of times I would just say, oh, I don't know. But, you know, because I, I was so emotionally sick. But this new friend and I, we started doing weekly Bible study together. And we did it over the summer because we were both involved in a year long um, Bible study. We did Bible study fellowship, if any of you are familiar with that. And so that's like a nine month thing that we did. So in the summer, we decided to do that. And we would walk. And as we walked, we would talk. And she would ask me how things were going um, with this friend. And, you know, I had a new appreciation for the word frenemy. <laughs> I was, you know, I was so confused between, wow, it feels like a friend, you know, at this time. And then it feels like an enemy at this time. Now, she was not my enemy, but there were times it just felt that way. And I was, I would stay confused and trying to figure out what was what, um, I, you know, because I felt like I was walking on eggshells. And anytime you feel that, you can know things are not healthy if you feel that way in any type yeah. of relationship, you know, but. But the more I talked um, about the things that were happening between us and I got validation from this friend and, you know, she just kind of supported me and um, helped me to see like, Wendy, this is not all your fault. It's not all on you. Um, these things are wrong. And like, as an adult, someone, you know, adults have to know what's right and what's wrong and how to treat people, regardless of, you know, if they're going through their own tragedy, it's, it's still not okay. It it's, makes it understandable, but it doesn't make it okay to turn around and treat someone um, poorly. But, you know, as we did that, I just began to feel better. Mm. And, you know, I think it was because I was taking my pain into relationship that, and I hadn't done that before. Right. I was keeping it all to myself, but that's exactly how God designed life to work was yeah. is in relationship because, you know, 
it's not just any relationship. It's in a healthy relationship, but think about it. God never asks us to do anything in scripture outside of relationship. You will not find one thing in the Bible that God asks us to do all alone. It always involves relationship in one way or another relationship with God, relationship with other people, in relationship with the church. It's always in relationship. And so, you know, I, I like to tell people, you know, if you want to get better on any level, you got to get in relationship with safe people. And so, you know, if you're sick, you got to get into a relationship with a doctor or a naturopath. You know, if you're overweight, you got to get into a relationship with a trainer at a gym. Mm-hmm. And if you are, you know, um, emotionally sick, like I was, you got to get into a relationship with a counselor or a coach who can validate your experience and help you see, you know, those lies. Cause I was believing a lot of lies, you know, and one of those things I think we're taught in the Christian world is if you're kind to people, other people will be kind to you. Mm. And that's just not the case. That is not the case. And you know how I could not see that. I don't know, because that is not the life of Jesus. Yeah, (laughs) You know, that is not the example that, that, that Jesus set for us, but that was certainly a lie, um, that I, you know, believe, but, you know, I think it's a big part of depression just allows you not to see things clearly. You know, my concentration was lessened. My physical energy was gone. Um, I would cry at the drop of a hat. Like I said, you know, I'd wake up, my mind was racing all the time, constantly thinking through things. And, you know, it just turned, my mind turned against me um, is what happened. And I think that's why my husband couldn't understand. Why can't you just let this go? You know? And you know, it brought my mind would bring up every bad thing I've ever done. Um, mm. you know, shame and guilt, you know, all those things. And my thoughts just tortured me, honestly. And so, you know, I begin to think that things would never change. I would think no one will believe me, you know, before I started talking to this mutual friend, you know, and like you said, in the beginning, you know, uh, <laughs> alcohol was one of those things that I just thought, Oh God, if I could just please go to the ABC store and get anything to numb my pain, please, please, please. You know, mm-hmm. and I would drive by and I would look at it and I, for whatever reason, God would say, don't do it. And I, you know, I remember thinking I've got carpool to pick up. That's how I was thinking of it. You got carpool to pick up. You don't know how long this is going to last how much can you drink and then be okay to drive and get your kids. Cause I would never want to harm my kids. Right. And so I always say, you know, carpool. So it saved my life, um, <laughs> you know, but, but truly it was the relationship of talking with this friend um, about what was going on and, and kind of getting those things um, outside um, is really um, what helped me. Mm. I have a question, Wendy, when you said that depression can blind us to so much. Mm -hmm. So say I have a depressed friend. Yeah. And I can see that they're blind to whatever I can see they're blind to. Yeah. How does a, a, a friend help a depressed friend, uh, see what they cannot see? So I think the first thing is not trying to fix them. Don't see them as your project. Um, See them as a human being and try to relate to what it is that they're feeling and sit with them in it and let them see that it's okay to be sad and that you get it and that you understand 
wow, I think if this had happened to me, you know, really try to understand their story. I think that's the most important thing you can do because, you know, we just see someone that's depressed and we can just like my husband, he became frustrated with me because he couldn't fix it. And Mm -hmm. he wanted to fix it because he wanted good things for me. And we can so many times want such good things for our friends. Right. And we become frustrated when we can't fix it and when they're not fixing it. But if we could understand their story, we might understand a little bit more about why they feel that way. And then as you sit with them in it, then you can say, you know, I've got this person that's a counselor. I don't know if you'd be interested in talking with them, but, you know, here's their number. If you want to call, you know, and maybe you can, even if it didn't help you, you might say, Hey, they helped my friend who was walking through something similar. And I just, you know, I just thought I'd give it to you if you ever wanted to call, but, you know, not forcing them to do something because, You know, we can never help people who don't have problems. You know, I talk to parents all the time that, you know, they talk about problems with their kids and, you know, can you help my kid? Well, their kid doesn't have a problem, so I can't help their kid, but I can help the parents because the parents are the ones that have the problem. And so, you know, sometimes our friends, they don't see the problem yet. And so, Mm -hmm. but as we listen to their story, just like my friend did with me and begin to validate that, wow, that's really a hard thing that you walk through. I think I'd be sad too. Or how have you survived? You know, this, wow, I see. And start calling out the things that you see in them. Mm -hmm. You know, like, wow, you are really a person of strong character. I see your character. I see the courage you have. I can see strength in you, even though I know that you're feeling pretty weak right now. And that's probably the way you see yourself. But wow, I see somebody that's carrying a whole lot that takes a lot of strength. And so calling out those good things um, within them um, helps a lot. Yeah. I, you know, I'm just re- kind of recalling my own journey in that and how mm-hmm. helpful it was, um, for a friend who mm-hmm. I remember sitting with at McAllister's and just mm-hmm. pouring my heart out to her, which I didn't feel like there were a lot of safe places at the time. And she just said, Karna, you're grieving, you're mm-hmm. grieving. And for her to give it that name was so helpful to me. It didn't yes. turn it around right away, but you know, I was so angry about some things and, um, and I was directing all my anger in one area. And she said, I don't really think it's about that. I think yeah. you're grieving these losses. And, yes. um, and that was so helpful to me and she didn't try and fix it. She just mm-hmm. helped me name it and see it. Yes. And then my counselor did exactly what you said. He, you know, I went and I poured out all the things that had been happening and he was like, I mean, of course you're feeling like this. And he was yeah. like, these are all big things. And yeah. for him to validate it, I was like, yes. oh, I shouldn't be perfect and strong and be able to yeah. handle all of this on my own. That's and right. so I think that's such, those are such wise words, um, for us as friends and, mm-hmm. You know, one thing I wanted to just ask you about again, because it was something you said to me um, when we were visiting last summer, mm-hmm. and you said, mm-hmm. we need to learn to grieve a little every day to take mm-hmm. time. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's so practical and helpful. I haven't stopped thinking about it. Yeah. So, you know, grief is defined as a normal response to loss and it can be any loss. You know, a lot of times we'd like to think of it as just death. And so, you know, Carney, you might've been thinking, well, in this particular situation, well, yes, you know, I did have someone die, but in this particular situation, I'm still feeling it's adding to what I'm feeling, but no one died. And so we minimize it, Yeah. but um, you know, even a move, 
can be such a big thing. And so, you know, taking time because you know, that's what I didn't do, right? I didn't take any time throughout my life until I was 40 and I was forced to. And so it helps if we can just take time at the end of our day to just talk with God or maybe journal, you know, sometimes is really helpful to just like go through your day and what happened and feel the feelings from whatever it was that you experienced, right? You know, if you're maybe, you know, your friend did slight you and, you know, you're, are confused, or maybe you feel sad, or somebody cut you off in traffic, and you're thinking about it at the end of the day, (laughs) feel mad about it, right? Go ahead and get that out. And, you know, look at what those losses are, you know, because the more that you can grieve them as they happen, the less interest that you're going to have down the road, because grief never we don't just put it on the back burner and we pick it up where we left off. It grows over time and it will Mm. start to come out sideways. You know, that's kind of where you see, you know, someone that's had a bad day at the office, they come in, they kick the dog, they yell at the kids. Well, the dog and the kids haven't done anything. Right. right? But that is what happens in our life. You know, we, we start to become irritable. And like I said, I started to become bitter and I would, that, that gives a new lens to how we see life. And so, you know, if I could have just accepted what I was feeling instead of minimizing what I was Mm. feeling or trying to stuff the emotional trash in that emotional trash bag, it would have helped me to get through it a lot quicker. You know, there's a story about Buffalo Buffalo actually run into a storm to get Mm. through the storm quicker. Mm. And, you know, because, you know, think about if they run run away, run the opposite way, well, that storm's just going to catch up with them and it takes longer. And so just Get going ahead and facing that pain is the only way you get through it because the only way you get through grief is by going through grief. And that means feeling the feelings and acknowledging what you're feeling in an unedited way. I like to tell people to journal and don't edit it. You know, don't worry about punctuation. Don't worry about if it makes sense. Just write it out because you just want to get it out of you. Right. And that's such an important part is just getting it out. And a lot of research has shown um, that even just writing for 20 minutes a day is beneficial to your mental health. Yeah. Well, that just leads me to let's talk about what you're doing now in your ministry and, um, and you have some tools for people. So you want to talk about all the things you have out there. I'm so excited about this. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I actually, we have a website called delightedbygrace.com and I do a blog post every month. We just talk about, um, you know, different things this past, um, I don't know, I think a couple of times ago we talked about boundaries because boundaries are so important, you know, as you heard in my own story to have during times of grief because you're so vulnerable, you know, at that time. And so, you know, I have a blog on there and then we just have different resources. Um, There's all kinds of books that are on the website. Um, There's books for adults. There's books for kids. There are some podcasts on there, which I'm going to add this one on there as well. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, all kinds of different resources on there. And then we just um, over the past week have added to our website, um, some it's called the box of comfort and hope. And these are gift boxes that we send anywhere in the United States to those who have experienced grief or to those who are fighting the battle of cancer. And we have gotten such great, great feedback, um, from those of just, you know, a lot of people send flowers and flowers are wonderful. I love flowers. <laughs> I try mm-hmm. to even buy myself, you know, a small little bouquet at the grocery store, um, every couple of weeks, but 
flowers die. We know they don't last long. And so when, you know, the box of comfort and hope always comes with a book, but it also comes with a little mug that, and, um, that has a, a verse from scripture that reminds us that we're never alone, regardless of what we're going through, that God is with us. And so those have been such um, a great encouragement to people. And so we've been really excited um, about having those. But um, what is the book that's in them? Is it different or is it the same book? So sometimes they're different. Now for the grief uh, boxes, they're called our comfort boxes. Um, for men and women, we put Experiencing Grief by Dr. H. Norman Wright. Dr. Wright is somebody I've been working with for the past year. And he is so wise. He's written over 90 books, but he has experienced a lot of grief in his own life. And so he has written just a small book that the chapters are two or three pages, because that's about all you can take in at a time when you're going through grief. And so that book is always um, included um, for that. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. but then um, in the um, warrior box for cancer, those who are fighting cancer. Um, right now the book is all God's comfort. And so that just has different ways that God shows up um, in different areas of our life based on what we're going through. So, mm-hmm. and then we just have the opportunity to pray with people um, all the time. I sent out an email this weekend, just asking people, how can I pray for you? And we got so many responses. Um, and it was such a blessing and an honor um, to be able to just send back a prayer. I mean, I literally typed out what I was praying for them and sent it back to them um, for encouragement. And so that was, that was a real honor um, to be able to do that. But yeah, we just have, you know, resources on there um, to help people regardless of what type of grief they're going through. You know, there are some people that are going through emotionally destructive marriages and there are, you know, that's such a hard thing to talk about because divorce is a hard topic in the church today. And so there's some resources on that, you know, if if that's what you're going through and then, you know, losing a child, I mean, oh my goodness, it heart wrenching, heart wrenching. And so I've got resources on there for that, um, resources, you know, if someone has experienced, um, death by suicide and, you know, just lots of different, um, things on there. So yeah, people can feel free to go to the website and, um, take a look around. Yeah. And Wendy also has a Facebook group. If you want to be part of a community, um, I love it there. And yes, yes. And go to grief support delighted by grace on Facebook. And, Uh uh, we post most days and, uh, once a week I have a video teaching where I come in and do a, you know, maybe 15 to 30 minute, um, teaching on something that, um, I think would be helpful for those um, who have experienced loss. Mm -hmm. So the Facebook group is called delighted by grace as well. It's called Grief Support Delighted by Grace. Oh, Grief Mm -hmm. Support Delighted by Grace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's free to join. Just answer a few questions and you're in. Yeah, I love having you as a resource um, because we do just not only encounter loss in our own lives, but just in those that we're in relationship with. And I, I just have... I have referred so many people to the Facebook group. Um, you have a journaling, um, resource, uh, like a guided journaling resource, which I have heard, I haven't done it personally, but I keep referring people. I'm like, I think you need to go get this and work through it with this. Yeah. We've gotten a lot of good feedback. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that was one of the things that was so helpful in my own life, but when I did it, the journaling, I was encouraged to do journaling, um, by one of my coaches, 
I didn't have any guide. You know, I'm like, I don't know. You know, I would literally start, I'm supposed to be writing something and then it would kind of evolve into something. So that's why I wanted to do, you know, this, this guide to say, here's some questions to think about and, you know, how are you feeling about this and, and just start writing. And, and, you know, one of the first questions is my grief journey began when, and you just go from there. And, and so it really helps um, people to really get in touch with what's happening um, inside of them. Yeah. So helpful. So helpful. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, I make, so I've been making my list of people that I know um, and learning so much. I, I got three pages of notes. I'm super sorry. I have <laughs> just been writing um, this, this journaling thing. Is this a journal that you send them or is it it's just, just a, a download? It's a download. So okay. literally they just put their first name and their email address and they get the download right away. Okay. So if we have friends that we think would be blessed by this journaling experience, yeah. uh, how does someone start the conversation with, I think you need this. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's, it goes back to listening to someone's story. It always starts with listening. And so as you're listening, if someone is sharing with you that they kind of feel stuck or they feel like, you know, they don't know how to process what they're going through. I think that's when you can just say, Hey, you know, I heard of this resource. I don't know if you, you know, you kind of put it out there tentatively to them because honestly it's their choice. Um, and we never want to take away someone's freedom. And so just, you know, you tend to put it out there and let them know that it's available and here's how you can get it. And um, of course I can give you um, a direct link to that you can put in your show notes as well for people to just grab that. But um, yeah, I think that's, um, you just let them know that, you know, what's available. Well, and you know, Wendy, your journey is grieving um, relationship loss that mm -hmm. spiraled you into stuffing feelings for yep. life. Yep. There is so much loss going on in our world today mm -hmm. and a suicide loss, mm -hmm. um, relationship, so much loss. Mm -hmm. And I'm just realizing, you know what? Loss is loss. If it's, it can't be big loss and little loss, it's just loss. That's right. And because the most important loss is your loss. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And for you to say, um, uh, we need to learn to grieve a little every day and, and let it out. Mm -hmm. Ugh, that's huge. Thank you for sharing with that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I got to put that down to the most important loss is your loss. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So good. Um, I just know that so many people are going to be, uh, helped today by this story. Yeah. And I'm just so thrilled and so thankful to the Lord for your friendship and your voice in my life. Um, is there any last thing you would like to say before we wrap up? Um, well, I think, you know, I, you know, for me, part of my grief journey, and, and I don't think that we normally think about these things going together is that I had to learn how to set boundaries. Mm. And so, you know, it wasn't safe for me as a child to do those things, but I had to recognize that I was an adult and that as an adult, I had different choices. Mm -hmm. And so learning how to set those boundaries has truly given me so much freedom um, in my life, the freedom to say no and the freedom to say yes. Right. No, you know, because so many times that we, especially at church, they're like, can you be a part of this? 
And I saw, you know, right now I just have to say no, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I can't because there were so many times I said yes. And then I would be just so resentful on the inside. Like, I can't believe they had, well, it was me, right? I, I can't put that on someone else. And so learning, um, you know, how to do that so that I wasn't the prisoner of anyone else, um, not the prisoner of any guilt messages um, was a big, a big, big part of that. So, mm, wow. Yeah. I think you yeah. just said that to me. Wow. Thanks for that. <laughs> I needed to hear that. <laughs> and so. then I think the other thing, you know, that I, I had to learn, um, was I didn't, I didn't have to try so hard to be liked. You know, mm. I had to stop trying so hard because there are just people that are not going to like you and they're not going to like some of the things you do. And that's okay. Everyone is not going to like you. And even if you do try to please them, they're still not going to. It's just, just part of the human human condition. Mm-hmm. So what if what what if you see when you said uh, it taught you boundaries, mm-hmm. and your health came on the other side of boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, yes. But there are some people. I guess the people who don't want know they should set boundaries, but don't want to set boundaries. Would you call that codependent? Um, well, so are not ready. I can't. They're not ready yet. Um, it could. It could be either one. It could be either one. Um, but I do know that people who don't set boundaries are a prisoner to other people, mm-hmm. and I know that people that don't set boundaries are also um, resentful. Because they are saying yes when they want to say no. And I, I know that God never asks us to pretend. He always calls us to speak truthfully to our neighbor, to speak truthfully to those around us. And when we are saying yes, when we mean no, or we say no, when we mean yes, we are speaking truthfully. And so if we want to follow God in his example, in his, you know, there, there, Jesus didn't heal everybody, right? He had boundaries, and when it was time to spend time with the father, he said, I'm going to spend time with the father. You know, I know all these people are out here waiting for me to heal them and that they have real issues and real important things going on. But this is what's most important for me today, right now. And so that, you know, for me as well, I had to learn to say, what is mine to do, right? Is this my responsibility or is this someone else's responsibility? And, you know, I also had to learn how to like me. You know, I couldn't expect other people to like me if I didn't like me. And so that was another part of it. And that can sound really selfish, but it wasn't in a selfish way at all. It was learning to enjoy the creation that God had made because I'm made in his image. And I had to learn how to enjoy that and to be my own person and to be okay with that and to learn to live for that audience of one, which is God. And because Mm -hmm. he is the one that ultimately I'm accountable to. And some people won't like it. And just like my mom, some people will walk away and it is, it's heartbreaking And it can feel overwhelming at times, but ultimately, as you go down the path and as you continue to do your grief work, um, which is feeling those feelings and continuing to process them. And what does that, what does it mean for you? You do get to the other side and be able to say, you know, that's their choice and that that's okay. Well, friend, I know that you are going to want to see all the ways that you can connect with Wendy and all of the exciting things she's doing in the space of grief work. So check out the show notes. We have everything there for you. Roxanne and I are so very thankful you took some time to listen today. We would be so grateful if you would subscribe and rate and review the podcast. 
and share it with those who this would be helpful to. We want to connect with you more. So again, check out the show notes for all the ways that you can connect with us. And remember, you are a precious jewel in the eyes of Jesus. Your story matters. Let the world see you so they may see him.